are not aware, maybe you haven't heard, or if you have, you're wondering what's taking place in Israel. There was a war that broke out yesterday morning. Uh, it was a surprise attack from the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. I don't know if you know more or less where the Gaza Strip is. I don't know if you can put up a map of Israel so we can kind of get an idea of what's going on. The Gaza Strip is just this little sliver of land that's on the coast, it's on, by the sea. And it's not really that big of a, a, a country or a place, but a lot of Palestinians, a lot of Muslims uh, live there. And, uh, you know, in order to get a good handle on what's going on, you have to understand that there's two groups of people, and, uh, and those groups of people uh, are kind of divided up into so many different groups and whatnot. But there's the Israelis, which are the Jews. The Jewish people come from Moses, as do the Arabs. Uh, the um, uh, the Arabs uh, the nation, they also come from Moses. There was two, uh, uh, excuse me, from Abraham. There were, there were two uh, sons that were born. It was uh, Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael was the oldest. He was born to the bond servant. And God said, that's not the one I promised. But you know what? Because this happened and, and you did you did this on your own instead of letting God take care of this. Uh, you know, they're going to be a stumbling block for you for the rest of your life. And since that time, since Abraham and uh, Ishmael and then Isaac was born, Isaac is the promised son. Ah, there you go. And the Gaza Strip, thank you, uh, is basically that what you can see over, over down there, right up where it says Israel. There's the West Bank. And then um, up on top, I believe, is. This is part of what's going on. And, and if you take all of Israel, the whole province of Israel, Israel is probably, it's no bigger than, you know, up here from the foothills of the grapevine all the way down to uh, the border of, of Southern California and New Mexico, and uh, from Crestline all the way out to the coast. I mean, the country is a very small country. This, this little strip of land right here has about two and a half million people, and a lot of them are Palestinians or Arabs. And uh, they've been fighting over control. They say that they have been treated correctly or right. Uh, Jews, uh, you know, are being treated more prominent. Well, it's it's the Jewish land. It's Israel that's going on. And so anyways, the last few weeks, there's been some celebrations uh, in Israel. Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the uh, celebration of the Day of Atonement. It's the day It's the day that the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and uh, he would he would sacrifice a lamb, and he would put blood on his, uh, his earlobe and his thumb. Is this thing on? Something else going on. Okay, I hope they're not bombing us. <laughs> not what we're talking about. This, anyways, the priest would put sacrifice the goat. He put blood on his earlobe, his right earlobe, his thumb, and his right toe, and he would enter like this: "I'm here to do your will. I'm here to hear your will, and I'm here to walk in your will." And this is how it was to be uh, prayed. And 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 the uh, the priest would go in, and he would offer sacrifices. The Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, he would offer sacrifices on behalf of all the Jewish people, in order for them to uh, be, be absolved of their sins. And, and then they would take another goat, and they would put their hands on top of this other goat, and they would, they would put all the sins, basically, and uh, what they would impute, all the sins of Israel on this goat, and they would cast him out into the wilderness. They would call that the scapegoat. Now, this is the celebration that they celebrate every year, even just uh, as of recently. It, was, uh, it started on Sunday, on sunset on Sunday, by the way, on, on September 24th, and then ended Monday on sunset on the 25th of September. And, uh, and so this Yom Kippur, 
is very significant to the Jewish people. And as a matter of fact, 50 years ago, 1973, under the leadership of Golda Meir, I don't know if you remember her, but she was the prime minister, which Benjamin Netanyahu is the prime minister of Israel now. But at that time, there was another surprise attack upon Israel during that time. And it was right at the middle, right, right at the beginning of their celebration. So 50 years later to the date, which was uh, yesterday, October the 6th, and uh, today's the 7th, no, October the 7th, anyways, to the date, 50 years later, they do another surprise attack. Now, this time, not only were they celebrating, they had just finished celebrating Yom Kippur, but they were also celebrating the, the Sukkot. Sukkot is the festival of tents, and every year, they, they what they do is they basically put out tents out in the wilderness, and there were a bunch of young people that were out in the desert, and you'll probably hear about the celebration that they were having, and they have tents up, and they celebrate the fact that they were in tents for a very long time until they got their nation, and so in the process of celebrating, and then not only in the middle of this important high holy day, right after the important high holy day, this other celebration, it was also what it was called the Sabbath. Now, the Jewish, the day ends on sunset. So, for instance, uh, today, uh, if, if when the sun sets tonight on Sunday night, it is Monday morning for them. That's when it begins. For us, it begins at midnight. But for them, on Friday, Friday night, uh, as sunset on Saturday, that was their Sabbath, their day of rest, plus this festival that they were all celebrating. And during this time is when the Palestinians came in and they invaded. They caught them totally off guard. This little sliver of land that you've seen up there, it is highly, highly looked over, and there's all sorts of surveillance, and there's all sorts of intelligence that they've been gleaning from this little sliver of land, and so you've got to wonder, how did all this take place? Well, the unfortunate thing is that there's a lot of not only Palestinians, but there's a lot of Jews here. They've captured a lot of them, and so there's this war that's going on, and Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, has said, it is an all-out war. We're done. We're done. This has happened one too many times, and uh, we are going to eradicate these people. And the sad thing is, is Hamas is which is leading this thing. They've been uh, under this this banner for many years that uh, that uh, Israel is Satan is the no the United States is the great Satan and Israel is a little Satan or the other way around, and uh, they they want to eradicate both countries. The Israelis uh, they want to take take them all out, and of course the United States as well. So we have, we have this war that the United States more than likely is going to get sucked up into, and it's, it's causing a lot of tension uh, worldwide. And, and you wonder why this little piece of land that we just talked about, why Israel? You know, this, this place is no bigger than, than Southern California. Why Israel? Why, why all of this? Why, why at this time? Uh, and, and if you are any type of a news addict and you're listening to Many times throughout your lifetime, you've heard of these wars in Israel. And Israel is a key point in biblical prophecy. In biblical prophecy, things take place in Israel. And it is because of Israel. And it's, it's the, this persecution, this, uh, all these trials and these tribulations that Israel goes through. And what they're going through. And right at the end, when they believe that it's all going to be I mean, just lost. Nobody is going to come to the rescue. Right at the end, that's when Jesus Christ returns and he sets his foot on top of the table, uh, on top of the, the mountain of Mount Olives. 
there are a lot of things that have to happen prior to all of this. Uh, one of them is this war. One of them is the uh, uh, the, the destruction of the uh, table, uh, the Temple Mount. The the Temple Mount is the uh, is where the Arabs have their shrine, their Muslim shrine, and it's right in Jerusalem. And uh, somehow they they have won that little piece of territory, which is in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the capital, the city of uh, Israel. And it is the holy city. That's where Jesus Christ went in, where they sacrificed uh, and they they they, uh, they sacrificed Jesus Christ. The temple has been torn down. The temple used to be there, and now there's this Muslim temple, and that's been a big contention for the Jews for many years. That temple has to be taken off, uh, according to scripture. According, well, not according to scripture, but according to prophecy, the Jews are going to have to go back and start worshiping at the temple. The temple will have to be erected. There is no temple there now. So a lot of prophetic teachers and scholars, they're saying, well, they can't erect the temple there on this Muslim territory because the Muslim uh, people, they own that place, and they they have their own shrine, and, and they believe they're entitled to it. Something has to happen. Something has to happen to take that off so that the Jewish people can build their temple. Now, all of what I just said right now, everything about the sacrifice, the scapegoat, the, uh, the, the Day of Atonement, all of that which I've just talked about, starting from the Day of Atonement, that has been taken place by Jesus Christ. We do not need another sacrifice. We do not need another lamb. We do not need a temple because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the sacrifice that has been paid for, the scapegoat, where the sins have been poured out upon, was Jesus Christ. And so the blood that was shed, according to the, the Jewish uh, the, the law, uh, that they would celebrate, that, that goat had already been sacrificed. And Jesus Christ bled for our sins and, and has forgiven our sin. We don't have to go to the temple. We don't have to go to the priest. We don't have to go to the, uh, the church or wherever it might be to have our sins absolved. All we need to know is that when Jesus Christ calls you to repent, it's not suggesting that you repent. This is a command that you repent of your sin, and Jesus Christ takes care of the rest. Repentance is a key factor in your life. Repentance is the things that you come to terms with and realize that I am a sinner. Uh, I was talking to a gentleman this last week, and I, he says, how, do you, how are you born again? I says, well, that's just like you were born into this this physical realm. You didn't have any choice or any control or any input as far as how you were going to be born, to whom you were going to be born, when you were going to be born. God just decided to take your mother and your father, put you together, and boom, there you are. God brought you into this world in that same manner. Jesus said, you must be born again, spiritually. Nothing that you can do for it. And the moment that you're born again, your eyes are open, you can see and recognize that, that you need salvation. And then you'll have eternal life. God will save you. And, you know, the, a very, it was just real positive. It was powerful in how he responded. He says, but, but I, I don't deserve that. I says, you're right. You don't deserve it. None of us do. But God has chosen you and brought you out of that to see this. And, and I, I was really excited about the fact that he recognized. I, you know, I am a sinner, and I don't know what to do about that. Well, now what you do is you move forward. You follow uh, the Lord in his, in, in, his, um, in his commandments, and you just follow what it is that he says, and you, you strive to grow closer to him, and you strive to, to develop that relationship with him. 
because he's had that relationship with you from the very beginning of the world. In the foundations of the world, the Bible says that he chose you, that he elected you, that he brought you out, and he picked you, and he says, you are mine. And uh, as we as we go through this sovereign election, a lot of times people say something to the effect of, you know, but that doesn't seem fair. You know, it doesn't seem fair that God alone choose me or only choose some. I says, you don't want God to be fair. Really, you don't. Because in order for God to be fair, what he needs to do is all of us, every single person is destined to go to hell. Now that's fairness. We violated God's law and we have sinned. And we have, we have offended a holy God. And so, therefore, a sacrifice had to be done. If you want fair, everybody goes. That's it. But you know what? God says, no, these are my chosen people. And we have to be careful when people say, well, that's not right. It doesn't sound well. You know, it, it, it doesn't because I can't do anything for it. God himself. And, and so when we come to this portion of scripture, and it's really, uh, it's really key that we, we are here right now, because when we come to this portion of scripture that Paul is talking to the people in Thessalonica, he has just talked to them and says, you know, I'm really excited about what's going on in your life and how God has just been working in your life. And he says in verse three of chapter, chapter one in second Thessalonians, he says, uh, first of all, in verse one to the church of the Thessalonians and God, our father, uh, to God, uh, to our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's already identified them as genuine conversion, as genuine churches, people that have already come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And why? Because he says in verse 3, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because of your faith is growing abundantly. He sees, you know what, there's there's this genuine faith uh, that, that that also what it does is it displays the faith that you are increasing in. Your faith is growing. You're, you're desiring to know God more. You're knowing more about God. You're reading more about God. You're praying more with uh, to God, and you're you're gathering with God's people. These are the things that a, a genuine conversion, regeneration happens in your life. You desire to want to be close to God. And Paul says this. You know, I I, I oughta. I'm I'm thanking God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and I, I hear it and, I, and I'm talking about it and I shared that with other people but not only that he says and your love of everyone of you for one another is increasing not only is your faith not only genuinely saved not only is your faith growing not only is your love growing but it's growing increasingly amongst everyone as we found out this last week then he goes on to say therefore we ourselves um and uh, I'm sorry I I lost my place. So we ought to always get, to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. So far, right now, uh, I mean, just just this morning, I. I Yesterday, when I found out what was going on, they had confirmed like 300 people had died. But now there's over a thousand people that have been killed and captured, and and some have been taken hostage, and just so many things that are going on in Israel. There's a persecution that is happening to the people of God. Now, one day they're going to realize, you know, that this Messiah that they crucified is Lord. Every knee shall bow. The Bible says, "Every knee shall bow." Whether you're bowing in in adoration or you're bowing in fear, every knee is going to bow. 
now, the Bible says this clearly, that everyone will one day say, wow, that truly was the Son of God. Whoops, it's too late for you. But you will bow because you'll know that you stand in the presence of a holy God when Jesus Christ returns. And so, as Paul is saying, you know, we boast to other church. You know, I talk about you guys all the time on the faith that you're experiencing, on the things that you're growing in, on the classes that you're attending. And Paul is saying, I'm, I'm doing the same thing. Paul says this all the time. He says, I'm excited about your faith and your growth. And mainly because of your steadfastness and faith in your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. We have not yet endured that kind of persecution. At least I don't know if you have or not. But I don't know if you've experienced that kind of persecution. Not the persecution that happens because of, well, our own dumb mistakes. You know, end up in jail or end for some uh, DWI or DUI. End up being fired for something, you know, that you could have avoided or prevented. Uh, end up having to get divorced because of, you know, bad choices in your life. Or end up getting ill because of, again, bad habits that you've picked up along the line. Those aren't the persecutions that Jesus Christ is talking about. Those things are going to happen in life, but that's not the persecution that he's talking about. The persecution that Paul is talking about is because of their faith, because their faith is growing, their love is growing, and, and, and their, their endurance is growing because of the persecution. And so when we look at the world and we look at the things that are going on and, and we ask the question, and some people will ask this question, why do bad things happen to good people? And so that is a that that that's not the right question to be asking. The premise when you look at scripture, there's no one good. There's no one righteous. None of us seek after God. The Bible says that we're all sinners. All have sinned. Not just some. Now there's not some good people, but we're all and and God made us good in Jesus Christ. So the premise is wrong. We cannot ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people because we're no good people? What we should. Why do good things happen to us bad people? Why is it that God is, why hasn't he taken me out like I, he should have? You know, because I've done some pretty bad stuff. I, I've sinned against the holy God. But by his mercy and his grace, he doesn't give you what you deserve. He doesn't. And he gives you more than he, you can ever deserve. Eternal life. He doesn't give you what you deserve, punishment. You want God to be fair? Well, then, basically, he's going to have to punish everyone. That's fair. You don't want God to be fair. You want him to be merciful. You want him to be graceful. And you say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for having mercy upon me. And you recognize that, and you move forward. But in the process, you're going through this uh, tribulation. You're going through these afflictions. You're going through these things in life. And, uh, you know, it could be just as simple as standing up, Knowing that what what the, your company is promoting, uh, I, I mentioned here some time ago about this young lady, and I haven't talked about what she's doing now, but her name was Jessica Tapia. Jessica Tapia was a school teacher, a teacher at um, Harupa Valley High School in Riverside, and and uh, she went she went nationwide, and but she stood up. She says, you know, I I can't I can't uh, abide by these policies that you're trying for us trying to make us to implement in our in our school class in, in our school and in our gym class and she says I, I cannot 
if somebody comes up to me and says that they are transgender, I've got to tell their parents, no, you can't do that. Well, I, I can't do that. Well, you know, this is going to save your job. So, you know, just do like what all the other Christians do. She says, what do they do? They, they just kind of lie. You mean there's Christians that are lying about this to their parents? I, I can't do that. And she stood up. She says, I can't. Well, you know, if you don't do it, we're going to have to put you on administrative leave. I, you know, do what may, has to happen, you know, because I'm not going to do that. And she said, on top of that, if... If a gentleman, if a man comes into, a boy comes into this gym class wanting to be a girl and being exposed, I'm not going to allow that. And they said, well, then you no longer work here. And so she stepped out. She says, okay, I guess, because this is, that's way contrary to my beliefs. I cannot support that type of behavior. And of, of course, you know, the news media got a hold of it, and a lot of people were backing her up, and she's trying to... Uh, she goes to uh, Jack Hibbs Church in Chino Valley, and so they're you know they, she's been you know been lifted up in prayer, and they're trying to help her to win this case, and and there are many 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 Christians in this world that are going up against things like this, and and I I'm not saying go out and make yourself a target. I'm not going saying go out and, you know just be boldly you know just I mean you should be bold, but when it comes down to you personally to making a decision or a choice which is against your convictions, that's when you need to stand up. And that's where the persecution starts to happen. And, and, and so we see things like this happening. And people ask, so how long is this going to take place? How is this going to affect us? What am I supposed to do? What promises can I hold on to? What, what, what can give me hope to, to be able to navigate through all this hostility in this world? Well, the good thing is, is that Paul answers this in the next few verses that we are going to be covering today, starting in verse 5 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says this, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom, for which of you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to those who are afflicted as well as to us when the lord jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know god on those who do not obey the gospel of our lord jesus christ they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Father in heaven, I, I, couldn't, I could not have planned this any better today. And I thank you, Father, for this portion of scripture that gives us an insight on the persecution that is to come. And then not only that, on how it is that you're going to take care of those who afflict us. And Lord, we, we are are not of our own will, but uh, because of what we stand for and who we stand for, the affliction will come. The persecution will come if it hasn't already for some. And we've been challenged. And Lord, we need to make a stand, a bold stand, and uh, recognize, like this young lady, Miss Tapia, and others that have given up their, their positions of power and of prestige and, and whatever the case may be because of their faith in you. So, Lord, we know. Help us to recognize and realize what it is that you're doing through this portion of Scripture. And, Lord, uh, this is one topic that many people don't want to talk about, but here it is. We're right in the middle of it, and I ask that you lead us through your word to understand what it is that you're doing in our lives. We pray 
in Jesus' name. And everyone, amen and amen. Number one, God will reward the afflicted. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. What Paul is saying, what he just basically said in verse 4, Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Not that he has his righteous judgment against the people that are going through this, but there is a righteous judgment that we sometimes go through to test our faith. We talked about this last week. How sometimes God causes these struggles in our life. Suffering happens in our life. Trials happen in our life. Temptations happen in our life because sometimes God is, what he's doing is he's testing us to see how genuine our faith is. What trials do to, a, to people that claim to be believers, and it sifts out, it sifts out the fake faith, the faith. Did I say that right? The fake faithers, the faker faithers. Those that are faking Christianity. There are a lot of people that call themselves Christians. Oh, yeah, I believe. Oh, yeah, you know, whoops, but, you know, not right now. And there, there's going to be a time. There was a story I used to tell a long time ago, and I've told it several times before, of this church that was meeting underground in, in Romania. And, uh, and they met underground, and they prayed, and they, they, they would sing, and they would read the scriptures in, in candlelight because they were afraid of those that were out there uh, persecuting the Christians. And then one day, some guys walk in, and they, they bust the door open, I mean. They didn't walk in. And they bust the door open, and they come in in masks and machine guns, and he says, okay, everybody that is not a true believer, you better get out of here right now. And half the church dispersed, and once they were all gone, they locked the doors, and they took their masks off. Okay, brethren, we're ready to worship with you guys. We're ready to worship. There's a time that it's going to happen that we have to start recognizing who are those that we're going to worship with? Who are those that we're going to be able to develop with and grow with? You see, in, in a lot of ways that the church is being looked at, I, I, I went to another, a big church this last weekend, and, and you know, it, it was beautiful, it was nice, it was, you know, it, it, was, it was, but the gospel wasn't preached. I mean, there were a lot of good ideas on things I should do as a husband, as a man, as a person, things I should work on. You know, I mean, they were great. But the God, that makes no sense for a person that has no spiritual regeneration. You know, they, they might be able to go through the motions and, and fix the marriage in 12 steps and whatnot. But, but, you know, if there is no regeneration, I mean, it's all for naught. What will it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world yet lose his soul? I mean, I, I can be the, the greatest example of a man and a husband and a father and a grandfather, and I can amass all sorts of wealth and whatnot, but you know what? With the lost soul, what is that going to do? That gives you nothing. And in contrast to what, what, uh, what, what, those, what people like this are, are looking for, those that, the, those that were in this church right here, they were doing what Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 6. He says, seek first and all these things shall be given unto you. He says, this is evidence, righteous judgment of God. This is evidence, refers to the proof of what they were going through. They were suffering. And, and, and there's some suffering that we go through in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. Uh, and, and it's not in your outlines, but hopefully it comes up here. It says, where they disciplined us. And, and the writer to the Hebrews is talking about our fathers, our earthly fathers, and how they discipline when we do wrong. 
the things that we do. And, and they discipline us because they love us. We discipline our children because we love them. Have you ever heard or maybe you've said, you know, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. You know, and, and it, 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 you know, hey, this is pretty, you know, the res- desired results. Discipline s- should be severe and swift, but you shouldn't like it. And there's a difference between discipline and punishment. You see, punishment has to do with the past. This is what you did. This is why you're being punished. But discipline has to do with the future. I want you to do better. This punishment has to do with anger. Ah, I'm so mad at you. I can't believe you did that. You know, that we but see, discipline is done in love. You see, you get the difference. Punishment was taken care of on the cross. Jesus Christ took your punishment. He does not punish you anymore. What he does now is he disciplines us. And this is what the writer to the Hebrews was saying. It says in verse 10, Hebrews 12, he says, For for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, he disciplines us, talking about God, he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. And, and this proves that we are children. As a matter of fact, later on in verses, or a little bit earlier than that in verses 7 and 8, the writer says, it is for discipline that you have, in, you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Now let that sink in for a little bit. You know, if life is going good, if life is going great, is just it's a breeze i don't have any problems i don't have any struggles things seem to be going i'm okay i must be god's favorite you know beloved you need to check yourself because the writer here to the hebrews is saying you know god disciplines you because you're his son you're his daughter he disciplines you because he loves you you know what if you're not being disciplined maybe you're not his child you're an illegitimate child you know, I'm not going to, I'm not, well, maybe I shouldn't say that. I'm not going to go and discipline my neighbor's kids, though I want to. <laughs> but sometimes I, I desire to. It's like that lady that once said, you know, I, I, the kids were just getting so out of hand, I couldn't take it anymore. I got to the point where I got so frustrated, I started spanking them. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute, I don't have children. But, uh, and sometimes we want to discipline those that aren't, but, but we discipline those that we love. And our children, because we love them, we discipline them. We should give them the discipline. And I'm not talking about hitting them with a stick or a rod. Or I'm talking about discipline, correction, the chancla. Yeah, not the chancla. If it needs to be, uh, you know, we're not talking about that kind of beating. I'm talking about correcting, doing it in love, doing it uh, to correct them, to, to go in a, better, in a better direction, not because of anger, not because of what they did, because of what you want them to do. And so the stuff. That the Thessalonians were going through is not is not uh, was not based on their salvation. You know, you have to go through the suffering so you can be saved. But it was an evidence, a purging, uh, a chastening, a purifying of their work and what they were doing. And God has to sometimes take those things away from us that seem to be idols within life. And He says, because God has prepared for them to be worthy of the kingdom that is to come. There's Jesus. To strengthen, you know, we need to strengthen the souls. In Acts chapter 14, strengthening the 
Paul was doing. He was going from place to place, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, Peter says in 1 Peter 5.10, And after you have suffered a little while, the grace of God, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. See, once you go through this, he will restore you. He will confirm you. He will strengthen you. He will establish you. He just doesn't say they're all beat up. He helps you to get better. In 1 Peter, this is in your outlines, 1, 3 through 5, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Now look at that. This is a little bit off. I mean, out, uh, not off, but out, out of uh, what we're talking about. But look at this. When Jesus told John, excuse me, when Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again, Nicodemus answered, how is that possible? Here, Peter is answering this. He has caused us to be born again. Not you caused yourself to be born again. You didn't say a prayer. You didn't raise your hand. Nobody laid hands on you and said you're saved. Nobody gave you any. God causes the regeneration, to regenerate, to make new. He causes that born againness in your life. And that's just a side note. Uh, once again, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And that, that salvation, that inheritance, that, that which is being guarded, which is undefiled, which is imperishable, which is uh, unfading, is being guarded for you and taken care of for you until that day. And this is why Jesus said to the people in his Sermon on the Mount, he says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you, and they're going to persecute you. They hated me, they're going to hate you. But you know what? He says, stand firm because your reward is great in heaven. This is what every believer in the, the past and every believer from this point forward holds on to. And we know, we know that we know because God is not a liar. And we know that we know, and thousands upon thousands, if not millions upon millions of believers that have gone on and gone through, have experienced this grace of God and have experienced the forgiveness of their sin and have experienced the love, the genuine joy, faith that has grown in their life, experienced and encountered God in such a way that they said, you know, come what may. Come what may. I don't know if you know. But every one of the disciples, every one of them experienced a very tragic death. Peter was crucified upside down because he would not renounce Jesus Christ. Some were sawed in two. John was thrown into a vat of boiling oil. He didn't die, but he was persecuted pretty bad. He came out disfigured and sent to an island in Patmos to where he died at. Paul was beheaded over and over again. Uh, some were stoned. And not with drugs, okay? They were stoned with big rocks. They were killed. And, and they were, they were the, every one of them says, renounce Jesus, you die. <laughs> I die, I guess. What's the worst you can do to me? Kill me? Oh, wait a minute. That's the best thing you can do for me. It, it's just the process that I don't, I'm not looking. I don't look forward to that process of dying. 
I don't. And I'm not out searching for a way to die. I'm not. You know, I, I can see the pain. I've seen it happen over and over again. I, I don't want to experience that. However, I know that that's the place, that's the part that I have to go through to get gradu- to be graduated. So Peter says, rejoice so far as you share that you may and be glad his glory is revealed. And so we go through this, this uh, scripture with Paul, and, and as he's talking, Thessalonica, your reward it, it, it is uh, the reward. God will reward the afflicted. That's those that are being afflicted. That's those in Christians, uh, those that are God's people. Uh, un- unfortunately, and so, and so, what happens? Well, number two, God will repay the afflictors. If all this is happening, if all this is going on in my life, you, you know, and there's a lot of things that would would kind of cause even stop. You know, but God, look at these people. It seems like nothing ever happens to them. I mean, I know that they're not right. I know that you know, and they're, they're, if nothing's happening to them, you have to understand that God gives grace to everyone. It's called common grace. We all experience the air that we breathe. We all receive the water that God gives us. We all are able to uh, amount a a fortune, make money, work. We all can have good health. And those aren't signs of things that, you know, that God is blessing you, though some people might think so. That's just what happens to some people, and that's just what happens to not to others. Your reward is not here on this planet. Don't get confused. Don't get sidetracked. Don't drift away. Turn with me to Psalm 73. The book of Psalm 73. Let me show you something here very quickly. For those of you with the, with the Bibles from the pews, if you want to turn with me to, I believe it's uh, page 385, yes. And this is the psalm of a man named Asaph. Asaph is uh, a a writer, a, a leader of some sort, a singer of some sort. And he says in verse 1, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. In other words, he's saying, you know, God has got to be good for those that are doing good, right? I mean, you know, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm a singer. I, I, I love God. I've written some songs. I wrote this one. And I know that God is good to Israel. I've seen it happen. And then he goes on to say, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he goes on to say, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. You see, the writer here is saying, you know, I see these guys. They're making all kinds of money. They're healthy. Look at them. You know, they they don't have any bunch of pains, you know, until they die. And that's it. You know, what's what's going on here, Lord? I mean, how come you're not disciplining them? And and the question should be what we just read because my kids you know they're being deceived they're being fooled and believing that everything is okay and it's not 
Verse 6, therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. You know, Lord, I see all these they seem to be getting better and better and bigger and bigger and you know there really is there's there's a god there really is a god yeah how come he's not you know dealing with me i say whatever i want i do whatever i want i go wherever i want and if i want to hurt you i can hurt you i can buy whatever i want to buy i can go wherever i want to go and 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 that's the attitude of the people that are considered here as as um, asaf would say the wicked and he says, you know, and, and if I were to say something, then I know that I would have got punished. You know, why is it when I say something, Lord, you punish me? But you don't punish these guys, once again, because those aren't my kids. <laughs> those aren't my children. Those aren't my kids. You know, but the, this, this psalm here takes a, an interesting turn in verse 16. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. It's, he says, you know, how, how do I, how do I, justify this in my heart in my mind how do i you know evaluate how do i put this together i mean you know god it just doesn't make any sense and then he says it seems so wearisome task until i went into the sanctuary of god you see beloved when you go into the sanctuary of god when you recognize that god is your father you recognize that he is the one in control not anybody else he says then i discerned their end Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was picked, pricked in my heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I continue with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may, may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of your great works. You know, God, I can see what's going to happen. I can hear. I can sense it. You know, and, I, and my foot at the very beginning, he says, my foot almost slipped. I just, I almost slipped up, God. I really did because I was looking at all the wrong things. I was looking at the outside. God, you look at the inside. I was looking at the outer appearance of the man, but you look at the inside. And now I recognize and I realize what's going to happen because your word is true. It is amazing on how God will repay the afflictors since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who have 
afflicted you. In Genesis 18:25, he's not unjust. He doesn't just go around just just afflicting whoever he wants. I don't like you. Bam. You know, I don't like you either. Hey, get out of here. No, he's just on his affliction. In Genesis 18:25, it says, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? God is just. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. He knows who is the one that is going to follow him and do his will. And he also knows who is not. They may fool you and me. People around us might, you know, well, look at me. Look at how good I am. Look at all the great things I've been doing. Look at all the good things that have happened to me because, and I don't have to go to church. I remember I was trying to, I was trying to witness to somebody who says, you know, the Lord will take care of you. The Lord will give, you know, bless you. The Lord will give you, you know, uh, the abundance of your heart. And this is back when I was younger, you know, I wanted people to, to understand, look, man, God can just bless you so much. And he stops and he says, look, man, I'm being blessed already. What, what do I got to go to church for? Why do I need God? You know, I, I got me a house. I got me a car. I got a good job. I got good, why do I need God? <laughs> I don't need God. I got it all my own. As the attitude that takes place. But where are you going to spend eternity? And it's unfortunate that a lot of people don't want to even invest in that thought. You know, you die and you go. That's it. I don't know. I don't care. As long as I'm happy now. Don't get me caught up in all this stuff. You know, this repay is, is to, to give back, to recompense. God says, I'm going to give them back what they got, what they gave out. Matthew 18. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. See, this is pretty, very difficult, not difficult. This is very uh, harsh treatment of those that treat his little ones, his, his believers. You cause one of these believers to stumble. Jesus says, you know what? It'd be better if you just, if you any kind of pain against these guys. It'd be better if you just stuck a, you know, tied a millstone. I don't know if you know what a millstone is. But this millstone was huge. It was a big rock. It was a round rock, and they would put it on a pole, and, and it would go round in circles, and it would grind the grain. And the way it was moved around is they would tie it to an oxen, and the oxen would roll this rock around, this big old flat rock. It was like a wheel, and it would grind the grain. And Jesus says, it'd be better if you just tied one of those big rocks around your neck and threw yourself in the ocean than causing one of my little ones to stumble. Then causing this pain and this turmoil on people that are mine. As a matter of fact, in Luke 13, 1, the, there, was a, there was a conversation going on between Jesus and, and, and they, asked, they asked Jesus this question. Uh, there were some present at that very time who told him, Jesus Christ, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had been now, at, at this time, we really don't have a whole lot of information, but what was going on basically during this story here is that the Jews were celebrating and they were you know, sacrificing them and, and Pilate came in and killed a bunch of Christians and the, the, the blood of the, the worthy and the, the lamb and everything just got all mixed up and they go, Man, that, that, what how can that happen? Were these guys bad? Were they worse than everybody else? Uh, you know, is, it, is that why it happened? Is that why this is happening to Israel? Is this is why is this why it happened to the twin towers? Because they were worse sinners than us. You know, does that mean that I'm better because they were the ones that were afflicted? And so Jesus says to them, and he answered, "Do not do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the others because they suffered?" He says, "No, I tell you, 
but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or these 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Apparently there was a tower that fell upon a bunch of other Jewish people, believers, and so they thought they must have been bad too. The idea, kind of like what today is, is that, you know, if you're doing good, then God must be blessing you. But if you're doing bad or things are happening, then God doesn't like you. He caused these things to happen to you. You know, and and so that is not the fate. And Jesus says, look, you know, these things, these things are going to happen. Life is going to happen. You don't live in heaven. This is the closest that any unbeliever gets to heaven. And this is the closest any believer gets to hell. Okay? But this is not heaven. This is a broken planet. And things are going to happen. People are going to die. People are going to get sick. People are going to, uh, you know, get into accidents. It's just going to happen. You know, and, and there's going to be bankruptcies. There's going to be divorces. There's going to be all kinds of things happening in life. You know, and, and there's nothing. There's a lot of times, it's just choices that we made. And because these things happen to you, it's not because you were bad. Maybe it was some bad choices. And the things that do happen that are great is not because you're good. That's just life. And what happens here is we have to recognize that unless we are born again, unless we repent, you know, ultimately, we're all going to end up in that place. Unless you repent. And Jesus was a master of going over repentance to people constantly. Number three, God will grant relief to the afflicted. In verse seven, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. You know, Jesus Christ is returning with his angels. Jesus Christ will return. And what he's doing is he's given us rest. He's given us relief prior to that. He, he says, you know what? There is this rest. There's this relief right now. When he said, come to me and Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take off the struggles of the world. Take off the, 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 all the pain and all the anger. And, and, you know, and, and what's going to happen is you will find rest. You will find this rest in the salvation that in spite of what may happen to you, to you in this life, you're going to go right through it in a very good manner, in a very good way. Hebrews 4, 9, and 11, he says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one the same sort of disobedience. And then there's the millennial rest. In other words, the rest that Jesus Christ is talking about here, the rest that Paul is referring to, the relief that we are going to get is ultimately when we're in heaven. In Acts 3, in your outlines, verses 19 and 21, it says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth 
of his holy prophet. Jesus is restoring all things. He's putting it together. He's building us a mansion. He's building us a home. He's, he's preparing a place for us. And he's going to come back and he's going to take us with him. These are the things that have been talked about. Look at uh, Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear crying. This is at the end time. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. You know, when I think about all the people that I've known that have passed away, that have died, and all the pain and the, the agony that it's caused, all the illnesses that, have, that people have gone through, all the sicknesses that uh, some are going through even now, when I think about all these things, I, I, I always look forward to the time that one day, that won't be no more. There's not going to be any more crying. There's not going to be a death. There's not going to be any sickness. There's not going to be sorrow. Uh, no crying, no more pain. You know, I think about that and I think you know one day it's going to be it's going to be the way God had intended from the very beginning but because of this broken planet because of what we have to go through we have to get through there there's a lot of this stuff that we have to go through number four God will deal out retribution to afflictors retribution vengeance basically he'll do so see Jesus Christ is returning he's coming back in flaming fire He's coming back inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. I mean, it's just like Paul just says, look, these are things that are going to take place. And I've been accused of being very pessimistic, very you know, antagonistic, I guess you would say. Uh, you know, very negative. But when you look at Scripture, the Bible constantly is warning us and warning us and warning us of things that are to come. It's in it. Yes, God is merciful. Yes, God is love. Yes, God is faithful. Yes, He's He's all. You know, He He loves the world, those that are His. You know, that's and and, he, and those are some of the things. But nothing more than God's wrath and vengeance and the return of Jesus Christ is a common thread throughout scripture. God is love. But we hear about and we read about that they will suffer punishment. They will suffer eternal destruction. They will suffer being away from the Lord. The glory of these are the retributions. These are the things to take place. And Romans chapter 12, verse 19, it says, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. Who can take care of things better than us? Right? God. He can take care of it better than us. Because he says, Vengeance is mine. I will repay the Lord. And so the writer, Paul, to the Romans, says, You know, don't, don't try to take it out yourself. What are you trying to do? You have no ability. You have no way of meting out what God can do. Let him take care of it. You just step back and say, all right, and let God deal with this. And he might not deal right there and then like you want him to. Come on, God, get him. Get him, God. And we're praying, oh, Father, please. I, you know, I pray for you all the time. I pray you get hit by a train. I pray you get hit by a car. I get, you know, no. Let God deal with it when he's going to deal with it. In Deuteronomy 32, 35, vengeance is mine. And for the time when their full, when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. And their doom comes swiftly. In Hebrews 10, 
For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Bit up to God. Vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine. God says, Let me deal with it. I am your father. You know, when, when somebody comes up against my children, I go straight to those people and say, let, let me deal with it. Because you're not capable of, you're not able to. Let me deal with it. Now that they're adults, they deal with it themselves. Psalms, and, and again, like I said, this is just repeated. And I've got so many verses on, on this. I'm just going to read a couple of them right now. Like Psalms 5810, the righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance he will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. This is very gory. This is very gory, but yet God says, you know what? When, when God comes and takes out vengeance, this is how it's going to be. You're going to be able to bathe your feet in all this blood that is out there. Psalm 68, 21. But God will strike the heads of his enemy, the hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty way. Can you believe that? His hairy crown. <laughs> I like that. Psalm 79, 12. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbors, the taunts that with which they have taunted you, O Lord. Psalms 109, 12. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. Now, I'm just going to end with this one because this one's kind of gory. Psalm 137, 9. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. You know, that was the way that some of the enemies of God were treated and some of the way the enemies of God treated the people. And the writer is saying, this is what God's going to do. He's going to take care of you and your family, and he's going to take care of all those that are wicked. One day, when Jesus Christ returns, that's what's going to take place. And so we have to remember that, number five, God will reveal the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Lord Jesus is revealed, from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Paul basically says this, look, we shared with you that one day Jesus Christ is going to come back. And in a couple of weeks, we'll talk about the second coming in chapter two. We'll talk about some of the things that have to take place before the second coming. We'll talk about the lawless one and how the lawless one is not even revealed yet, the Antichrist. And he's not revealed yet until the Holy Spirit is taken out of you. And when the Holy Spirit leaves, well, because I am a temple of the Holy Spirit, I am going to be lifted up with you. And everyone that died in Christ is going to be resurrected, first of all. And those of us who are alive are going to be caught with him in midair. But you see, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ, and it's interesting that Paul would use this word, when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed, apocalypsis is the word. Apocalypsis, the, the apocalypse is not this, you know, earth-shattering thing. Apocalypse is revealed. And what the, the writer of the book of Revelation is revealing what's going to happen in the future. And apocalypsis, uh, where we get our word apocalyptic uh, from, is, is not this doom and destruction that's going to take place on the planet. It is revealing the things that are going to take place in the future. Part of it is doom and destruction. Uh, another big part of it is the, the, the reigning of Jesus Christ, his destruction of people, his coming down on a white horse in, in Revelation 19 with the saints behind him. Jesus Christ, Christ will return, and he will be seen. In Matthew 24, 30, 
says this, this is even the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes, look, look at this, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming out of the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. After the rapture, seven-year tribulation, Jesus Christ is going to return on the clouds as he went into heaven with angels proclaiming that he is returning. He's coming in, in such a magnificent way, such a glorious way, nobody is going to be able to say, I, I didn't see it. Everyone is going to have front row coming of Jesus Christ. And every, every nation, every tribe, every person, whether saved or unsaved, you're going to see Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, during the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation, most of the people that are left behind are the unsaved. Those that have lasted through the tribulation, those that have not died, those that are still left behind. Matthew 24, 30, once again, he says, They then will appear in heaven, the sign of the Son of Man, and all the tribes of the earth will see him. Oh, I'm sorry, Revelation 19, 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in his righteousness he judges and makes war. He goes up against the armies of the world. He goes up against those that are coming up against Israel. One day, Israel will scapegoat. You don't need a young poor anymore. You don't need a temple. I know that a lot of Christians are looking for the temple to be built. It can't be built because on, on that temple mount, on the mountain, uh, is the Arab, uh, the Muslim temple. And that Muslim temple, which is dedicated to Muhammad, has to be removed somehow. And so Christians are looking for this temple to be built. And I, I don't know why. This is not something that God had commanded them to do because, well, we don't need anymore but jewish people want to build a temple so they can go back to sacrificing and they desire to to please god by the sacrifices your sacrifice your perfect sacrifice has already come in the form of jesus christ and he has forgiven your sin and it's a matter of repentance not you know well maybe i'll think about it the more you say that the more god hardens your heart okay go think about it tomorrow Go play your games. Go do what you want to do. You know, go out and party. Whatever it is you want, you know, just go out and do it. And the more that you do that, the harder your heart gets. When you hear the call of God, it's not a suggestion. It's a command to repent. And when you repent, your eyes are opened. And, and what happens is that you're born again. You're born again, and that's how you're able to repent. Otherwise, it's not happening. And see, what happens here is that at the end... One day, at that time, if you're still around, then you'll be able to see it. If not, then what happens is that your body is laid to rest, and it stays there until after the millennial. After the thousand years are ended, right before the, trip, right before the rapture, the dead in Christ will rise first, and those of us who are left behind will be caught up, and then everybody who dies in the tribulation will all come down with Jesus Christ and will reign for a thousand years. After the thousand years are up, then those who have died without Christ is going to resurrect you to what's called the great white throne of judgment and on that day he will expose to you as to why it is that you will spend eternity away from god uh why you will experience the wrath of god it's not going to be this deep sleep that you're going to be in it's not going to be this nothingness it's not going to be this this place where you can party with everybody else it's a place that is so dark so far so painful for all eternity 
where the worms chew you up. And the Bible says it's a lake of fire and you experience this pain forever and ever and ever. Unless you repent. And now that is the call. That is the call for, as Paul is saying here, he says, you know, I want you to know this. In verse 10, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who believed because our testimony to you was believed. If you believe that testimony, then you'll be able to marvel at him when he returns. But that is something that God does in your life and in your heart. And when you see it and you sense it, you repent and you grow and you strive to be closer to God. Let me ask you to stand. As we conclude today's sermon, I'd like for us to keep the people of Israel in prayer. That's what's going to happen next. I don't know if you've been following in the news, but according to some of the sources that I've read and, and been listening to, they have said that the United States is strongly behind Israel. So, you know, let's pray that that continues to happen. Unfortunately, we have a lot of enemies because of that. <clears throat> and so uh, Israel is looking for help. They were caught off guard. They were, um, you know, they were all sleeping early in the morning. They were all on Sabbath. They were all celebrating. Um, you know, a lot of people weren't even around. And uh, as to why it was able to happen like this, again, 50 years to the date. Golda Meir never uh, recovered from that. As a matter of fact, she was let go from after that. And I, I don't know how. Uh, Netanyahu is going to be able to do but in spite of all that God is still in control and so we want to see God do what he's going to do and we pray for those that are his excuse me and we pray for those that uh, will continue to search for him and to be his father in heaven we 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 see these uh, troubling things that happen in the world and, and the times that we're in and we, we recognize that part of this is part of your um, well your prophecy some of the things that we already know is, is to take place. This war against uh, Israel, uh, unprovoked, is uh, didn't even realize it was going to happen. But yet you did, and so it doesn't surprise you. So we need to place our trust and faith in you because we believe your gospel, and we believe your truth, and we believe that one day you'll be back for us. So, Lord, I pray for those that are still uh, listening to me online or wherever they may be, that uh, they recognize the voice of the shepherd. And they respond to that voice, and they hear his voice and follow him. As you wake them up, Lord, help them to repent and to recognize what they need to do next. So thank you once again, Lord, for your love and your mercy and all that you do in leading us in all things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen and amen. All right, we'll be up here for a word of prayer if you'd like to come up. Mm-hmm.